You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hello and welcome to the San Jose Hockey Now podcast, your trusted source for all things San Jose Sharks on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Floor, recovering from COVID. Uh, voice is finally coming back and the cough is starting to subside. Joining me as always is Editor-in-Chief of San Jose Hockey Now and my co-host, Shang Peng. Shang, how's your morning going? You're finally getting a day off. Yep, finally. Yeah, I uh, I think we all really needed it. Uh, sharks uh, included. Uh, the sharks have been going hard at training camp uh, f- uh, since the what for the last week or so, and mm-hmm. every day going at it. And I've been every day. Uh, I've been down there, and so they get a day off. I get a day off, and we're all happy. Yeah, it's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy a little three day weekend action, maybe, and. Uh... <laughs> Set your fantasy football lineup, Shang. Maybe you get a, a victory this week. <laughs> hey, I'm two and one, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's good. That's good. So am I. So we're, we're right there with each other. Uh, on today's episode of the San Jose Hockey Now podcast, we're going to be talking about everyone's favorite wonder boy of hockey, William Eklund. Uh, we're just going to be going over all the possibilities involving William, whether he's going to make the Sharks roster or not, in our opinions, some pros and cons. You know, give us the upsides, the downsides of him making the roster. And then also a little bit later, we're going to be joined by former Shark and Stanley Cup winner Dan Boyle. So uh, make sure you guys stick around for that because Dan was honestly just a blast to talk to. Uh, A little bit of a longer episode again, but... We're just providing you guys the best possible content that we can. So hey, it was that good an interview, so that's why we talked so long too, Dan. Exactly. I mean, we had a maybe what five, six talking points that turned into ten, twelve talking points <laughs> over the. Course <laughs> As you guys of the remember, Dan is a talker. Oh yeah. Uh, before we get into uh, the elephant in the room, I will say we're going to do a quick uh, shout out to our social media handles. You can follow the podcast at SJ Hockey Now Pod. You can follow the network at HockeyPodNet. And you can follow myself at NickFloor underscore. Shang, where can they find you? Uh, Shang underscore Peng on Twitter and everything at San Jose Hockey Now. All right, Shang. It's time to get into it. We're talking about the cutest elephant in the room. <laughs> Is William Eklund making the San Jose Sharks opening night roster? And well, you if- stole my joke there, yeah, because I was going to say, uh, when you said elephant in a room, you know, this is a great problem to have. And yeah. if he's the elephant in a room, he's the cutest, uh, most Dumbo-esque, uh, and the, the cute animated version of Dumbo, not that creepy live-action version they came out with a few years ago. So uh, the cutest version of an elephant in a room that you can think of. Yeah. Hey, you know, I'm fine with it. I'm tired. I'm tired of talking about Evander Kane. I'm I'm happy we could talk about William Eklund, the power play specialist. So uh, let's get into those pros and cons. Shane, yeah, yeah, away. yeah. Well, the, the first thing does have something to do with Evander Kane. The Sharks definitely need another <laughs> another uh, high end skilled forward with Evander Kane's indefinite absence. 
you know, the le legitimate need for a, a playmaker in the top nine and on the power play. And Eklund, right now, he looks like the best option. I think he's outperformed guys like older, more veteran guys like Jonathan Dahlin and John Leonard so far. Certainly outperformed Noel Greger and Joachim Blickfeld because Greger and Blickfeld, uh, surprisingly, both got sent to Barracuda camp uh, yesterday, something that mm -hmm. I'll, I'll talk about uh, on the website a little later today. But yeah. anyway, um, so speaking specifically of the power play, you know, there's an urgent need for a playmaker along the wall. And this is straight from what Bob Bugner has said and what it looks like they're going to try with the power play this year. And keep in mind that we are just a week in a training camp, so things are not set in stone. But right now, it looks like Logan Couture, Kevin LeBanc, Tommy Hurdle, and Nick Bonino are set to man the net front um, and the high slot positions on the par play. So this is basically right in front of the net and that area a little a little on top of it. So that's a big change, especially for Couture and LeBanc, because usually we're used to seeing them along the flanks, along the wall. Yeah. And so this, if they end up, uh, and I think that I'm pretty sure they will try Couture there. LeBanc, I'm not so sure. Um, LeBanc historically has been used along, like I said, along the wall. But yeah. let's say they use Couture and LeBanc, you know, in the high slot, which is where they've been in practices so far. That means that there's going to be open competition for four spots along both walls of two power play units. And usually this is a spot where you're looking for a great playmaker, a la uh, Joe Thornton, or a one-timer shooting option like an Alex Ovechkin and Nikita Kucherov, that sort of thing. So that's kind of, you know, uh, the kind of player you're looking for. They're not saying Eklund is that, not saying that the Sharks have anyone like that, but you want to find something close to that to put along those those places. Yeah, and um, all Sharks fans can kind of recall back to the infamous four goals in five minutes for San Jose against Vegas, uh, where Couture and LeBanc were during that historical yep. power play. And that's kind of where they've made their money, per se. Um, so moving them around probably wouldn't be a... It, it, it's a different look. And, you know, the bottom three power play the Sharks had last year, maybe John McClain's coming in and thinking, you know what, we got we to gotta switch this up a little bit. So that's good to uh, to notice. And, and to your point, to have that that playmaker on that sidewall, Eklund appears and allow me to put my teal-colored glasses on here. He's a more pass-first guy from what we've seen. I think he's notched all four of his points on the power play. Yep. We, we talked yes. a little bit about it before. And to no exaggeration, he has looked absolutely incredible on the power play for the Sharks. His no-look passes. Every time I see that highlight of the no-look pass, I'm just like, oh, God. That is what the Sharks do. The Sharks need some deception. Everything felt so predictable. So, to me, he just slots in easily as an 18-year-old, a power play specialist with a great pass, a great shot, and he's only 18. Like, I don't know. This is – let me be biased here for a second. He looks amazing. So. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, further to, to the point, um, so we've seen the Sharks' power play so far. Again, it's still preseason, and it's early in preseason, so it's against lower-level mm -hmm. competition. But Eklund has been the best player along the wall. I, I don't know if there's been any 
you know, I don't know if there's any argument against that. You know, we've seen Darlene uh, on the wall. We've seen other guys. All of the Sharks players, actually, all their veterans have played in uh, in games so far in the preseason. Uh, yesterday we saw Kevin LeBanc, but Kevin LeBanc was on his, I think, his one-timer side. So he was uh, a mm-hmm. blank yesterday. But of all the guys we've seen out there, Eklund has no question he, he stood out. Um, but I think, though, another reason, another, I guess, pro for why William Eklund uh, will or should start the season with the Sharks, he hasn't been just a specialist by any stretch of imagination. And I've talked a lot about this in, uh, in my game note stories after games, just things I've observed. He's been really good at 5-on-5, five five, even though there hasn't been any offense to show for it so far. We've seen multiple examples in every game we've seen him in. He's a conscientious back checker. He's smart with the puck in terms of his puck decisions. He's not a guy that is going to force a play usually. He will make the simple pass if that's what's given to him. If the team, if the opposition gives him more space, then he will carry it up himself. He has enough speed for that and make a decision uh, later on with, with the puck. He'll carry the puck up with no issue. And also, too, He's been an impactful forechecker. So this mm-hmm. is a guy that's been pretty good at, at two-way hockey um, as an 18-year-old, uh, much, you know, uh, at a, at least a, a bit higher level than he was uh, dealing with in Sweden last year. And mm-hmm. I guess another thing, too, that is really impressive about Eklund, going back to the rookie tournament, he wasn't that great at the rookie tournament, I mean, to, to be honest. I mean, he was good, but he yeah. was... You know, everyone I talked to, and I had a story about it, which I'm sure people will bring up now, because the scouts I talked to were all, you know, this based on what we saw in rookie tournament, this is not a guy who's ready for uh, ready for the NHL. Yeah. And I, I, I you know, that's not something that I, I would have disagreed with, because everyone said he was good in rookie tournament, but he was good for an 18-year-old. You know, that was that caveat. Yeah. He was good, but good. He wasn't, you know, the, the one guy that took everybody's breath away at a rookie tournament and was a guy that just clearly just didn't belong there. You know, what was he even doing there? It was a Tre- uh, Trevor Zegras, Anaheim. Yeah. So Eklund wasn't that good. And, of course, it's not fair to expect Eklund to be that good because Zegras was a, a, a 2020, 2019 pick, uh, whereas, of course, Eklund's a 2021 pick. So it's not the same you know, ballpark, of course. Yeah, age so it's differences. Not, yeah, age difference, there. experience difference, whatever. Zegras has already been in NHL. Yep. Um, so anyway, uh, that's what everyone was saying about Eklund after the rookie tournament, that you know mm-hmm. he was good, but good for an 18-year-old. Uh now, though, we are here three games into preseason, a week in a training camp, and he's getting better and better. Uh, the level is definitely higher from the rookie tournament now. Now we're talking about, you know, a high-end AHL level with sprinkled in with some NHL stars. You know, Ryan Getzloff played for Anaheim uh, yesterday. You know, Brent Burns, Eric Carlson have played, obviously, for the Sharks. So much higher level than the rookie tourney. Mm-hmm. And he is consistently getting better and better. And there's reason to believe that he will keep getting better and better over the next week or two. Uh, just because the one thing that everybody says about him that you saw in the rookie tournament, too, is high hockey IQ. And so basically he's, uh, you, know, not <laughs> you know, we need some appropriate chilling music for this, but he's adapting. Oh, <laughs> adapt, survive, overcome. <laughs> so I, I will say to, to to close off that if he wasn't 18 and so small, 
uh, because he really does look like, you know, that, that picture of him and Brent Burns standing together uh, um, after the, you know, uh, <laughs> during the L.A. game, it, yeah. you know, legitimately looks like, 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 uh, you know, like, like, like Lord of the Rings, Frodo with, uh, with Aragon <laughs> or something like that, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, Eklund is, is, is a small dude. There's isn't any question about it. There's no, there's no juking the stats, uh, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, adding another inch or two at a height or adding some weight. Like you can do that, yeah. you know, on NHL.com. I know what they have him listed as, but he's a small dude, you know, yeah. Uh, he's he's a boy still. He, I mean, yeah, he's he's a boy still. So you know, say he was twenty two and six foot. You know, let's say let's let's say he was that. You know, more mature physically. Um, mm. I you know then then I would say at this rate uh, of, of how he's uh, progressing in a preseason, and of course his play can still drop off. We're still just halfway into the preseason, but at this rate, you know, he'd be a shoe in for opening night. That's how good he's been. He's been obviously one of the Sharks' best forwards, best players. No, you know, no question. Nothing to do with age, size, whatever. Just watch the impact that he's making. So on that front, you know, he has been uh, that good. But, you know, I think, though, and we're going to talk about this uh, in a second, right? There's other things we need to consider, right? Yeah. And Bugner said he's making it very difficult. He's kind of forcing the Sharks' hand Mm -hmm. on whether or not they're going to bring him in. And uh, I think the unseen factor in here is uh, with, I think it's very, it's it's relative in the sense that I I wouldn't say it's coincidence, but I wouldn't say it's correlation that the more Buffalo wings and Chipotle he eats, <laughs> the better at the, the better he plays in the NHL. So he needs to get a Chipotle sponsorship or something. But um, like you said, Bugner unprompted yesterday, this is your tweet after the game. Uh, against Anaheim, unprompted, Bugner says Eklund was awesome. <laughs> just, he just, I think he's just fan. He he's doing the same thing that us Sharks fans are doing when we're watching the games. We're like, oh God, look at him! He's just so amazing right there. I love it. <laughs> yeah, just to add some more context to it, and I think I probably posted the video on uh, 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 on the Sharks homepage now. Um, but uh, basically, I just asked uh, Bob. I've done this after every exhibition game. It's an obvious question to ask is, well, who are your standouts uh, tonight? And mm. I, I was very, you know, uh, uh, Bob Bugner, as you guys probably can tell in uh, any interview you've seen with him, is he, he's not a guy that hides a lot, kind of. Mm-hmm. And so if he likes a guy, he's going to say it, and that's sort of the guy he's going to bring up first. You know that you know there there isn't much. Uh, I think I'm kind of quoting Scarface there. There there isn't a lot of lying in, in you know in in, in in his eyes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Shang Scarface Pang. I love it. <laughs> so any anyway, um, yeah. So I just asked him who stood out. You know, among the guys who are are vying for jobs, and he gushed about about Eklund, and I can't say that William Eklund did not deserve it. I love it. I love it. But. There is always a flip side to every coin, Shane, and <laughs> it's our jobs. Well, it's your job as a reporter. <laughs> it's our job as podcasters to um, weigh both sides and and kind of get into the not so fun bits, and that's the cons. And we're gonna switch gears here. Hit the. We're not gonna pump the brakes. We're gonna smash the brakes, and we're getting into the reasons as uh, maybe why they shouldn't make him uh, like a member of the roster, make opening night. So uh, what's your first, your very first take? 
Well, I think the first take is really to protect him because he is smaller and he's weaker. And mm-hmm. he's done a good job negotiating that at this level so far, this kind of, like I said, maybe high NHL level or very low NHL level. Um, but he's going to get rocked at some point. And, of course, he can get hit in any league, be it the AHL or the SHL. And, yes, yeah. he's already played with men uh, with the a- 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 SHL last year. But the, my question is, in terms of protecting him, is you know maybe it's better for him to play in an easier league where he's not as likely. He can still get hit and hit hard and hit you know dirty, of course, in any other league. But mm-hmm. you know where he's not as likely to get hit, where you know he can negotiate the pace and speed uh, of of the league uh, better than the NHL. Yeah, and um, the bigger ice sheet over in Sweden helps uh, deter those levels of hits, those those harder hits that you see at the NHL. And and not to mention that the the NHL has still has players that get paid to go out there and make those big hits. Mm -hmm. Those those bottom six guys still exist. And for me, again, we're not talking about his skills here. We're literally just talking about the fact that he's an 18 year old who has not fully grown into his body. You ask any person how Protect big they the were. Protect the ring bearer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you have any? You you could see any person ask how they were at 18 years old, as opposed to how they how big they were at 24 or 25. There's a sizable difference. For me, you're talking 40 pounds and four inches. You know, and that that's me, a non world class athlete. So, for me, the first thing that comes to mind is Tomas Hurdle. The injury of young Tomas, the knee on knee collision with Dustin Brown, is still fresh in my memory. Shane, you're you're a Kings fan. This is when I want to box you up. You know, kidding. Um, and I know you can't predict those sorts of. Things. I had nothing you, to do with that. Yeah, <laughs> you can't predict those injuries. You can't try to protect yourself against them. You can't play with that sheltered kind of mindset. You have to go out there and give it your all every day. But it can happen at any point and at any time. But head hunting that goes on in the NHL on skilled younger players is still for me a a bit of a cautionary tale that I'm sure the Sharks are probably taking into consideration, not because they're afraid for him, but it's just asset management at that point. You want to protect your asset and allow him to fully grow into a man before putting him against the likes of a Curtis McDermott or you know, on the receiving end. And thankfully, uh, Ryan Reeves is not in uh, the Pacific Division anymore. He's over in New York. But those types of players that get paid to go out there and make those hits on those smaller skilled players. So, uh, you know, for me, William Small, he's not fully developed. And I don't think anyone in the Sharks room wants him to be the target of a big career-altering hit at 18. So, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, For sure not. I will add... uh... I'm not a Kings fan anymore, guys. I was a long time ago, uh, but Dustin Brown is not my homeboy, so I want to put that put that out there. So I'm gonna clip that. Dustin Brown is not my homeboy. <laughs> but anyway, um, to your point, yeah, uh, there are guys that are paid for that in NHL, basically paid to hurt the opposition, not in a you know injured like career-ending kind of way, but to put to hurt on the opposition. And there are guys like that in the AHL, too. Um, so either of those leagues will be sort of a, a worry for that, more so than the SHL, probably. 
But uh, the, again, the idea though is that in a weaker competition league, that you know William might have a, that extra split second or two to kind of see it coming, that sort of thing. Of course, there's always things that you can never see coming, you know, cheap yeah. uh, blindside stuff. But just in a course of play and that sort of thing, um, he he won't get caught by something like that in, in the AHL. I will say, and this is a little bit of a side though, that I do think though that. He's shown that he can play, to me, for sure, that he can flourish at an AHL level. I don't see any reason for him to go back to SHL, uh, even though SHL will be, quote-unquote, safer for him probably just because of the bigger yeah. ice and also the not as uh, uh, aggressive physical play there. Um, but I think, though, that William does need to continue to adjust to the smaller ice surface and he's done a wonderful job so far but that's something that he'll need to continue to do uh and i think he's more than at least from what i've seen again again just three preseason games but you know we're talking about whether or not he's good enough for an nhl we're not talking about whether or not he's good enough for hl to me yeah. uh just from what i've seen i'm pretty sure he's gonna be just fine in the hl and he already scored at a half 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 a point clip as a 17-year-old in the SHL last year, an elite men's league there. Mm -hmm. And so I think he'll be just fine there. And so I think, to me, the question is, does he go to the Sharks or the Barracuda? So anyway, that's, that's just for me. But going back to the idea of Eklund, you know, being hit, uh, being hit hard, uh, you know, the specter of uh, Tommy Hurdle, that sort of thing. One thing I will give Eklund credit so far, and we've seen this so far in these three preseason games, he has a way of avoiding the big hits. Uh, you know, if you notice, like, sometimes when he makes the passes along the wall, that sort of thing, and there's somebody coming at him, he curls his body. He makes the play. Uh, there's no question about that. He does not shine away from, from the contact. He's not shining away from the dirty areas, and that's mm -hmm. Bob Bugner has said that, and th that's another reason why uh, William Eklund is really making this decision uh, – Maybe not that hard for the Sharks, really. Like, he's been that good. It actually might be easy at this rate. Again, if he keeps this level of play up or gets better uh, over the next couple of preseason games, it's not really that hard a decision, actually. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, though, one thing that we've seen, though, is a willingness to initiate and enter contact areas, but he'll crawl his body in, in a way where he doesn't absorb the, 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 the brunt of the hit. You know, he's not that kind of player. You know, he knows he's not that kind of player. That's smart. That's 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 how he should play. You know, I, I don't I don't want to we, we've already cited the name uh, Jumbo in, in some way uh, in, yeah. in this in this pod. Uh, and we're not saying that William Eklund is is a, is a Jumbo S playmaker. Uh, but that's what Gretzky used to do. Not yet. <laughs> oh, OK, OK, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you were giving me shit before we started recording. OK, Nick, you can't say he's like Jumbo. Jumbo, okay. You can't say he's like Jumbo because he's not Jumbo. We don't want to. We don't want to paint him in that picture. And then you drop the Gretzky bomb on everybody. Like, I'm not so saying funny. he's like he's like Gretzky, but I, I'm saying that that is what what Wayne Gretzky oh, used to do. God. To you know, Wayne Gretzky certainly did not avoid traffic areas. You don't accumulate no. almost three thousand points and two thousand <laughs> assists by shying away from traffic areas. But Gretzky also had a way of of uh, kind of negotiating those areas and not taking. Uh, the the big hits, and that's and in the the eighties, in in the nineties. This was the eighties. This like isn't getting, way more violent league too. So yeah, yes. getting absolutely dismantled. So. Yeah, yeah. So he he Ask had a Lindros way of, of doing that, that. Yep. And so you know, players can do that if they're smart enough. And mm -hmm. is Eklund smart enough to do that at a 
you know, he's been he's been playing NHL at you know whatever uh, at a uh, if we compare it to the to the to to the video game, he's been playing it at a certain level, right? At mm-hmm. like a, a professional level, right? Uh, once he gets to the Sharks, uh, when his regular season starts, it's gonna be at like All Star Legend level coming at him, mm-hmm. and so. Right now, he can negotiate the pace and avoid a big hit. Can he do it when the competition ratchets up a, a little bit? Well, that's what we need to see, right? He still needs to yeah. play. And also, too, you know, before we even get there, right, we still have kind of one more test. We've seen what, he, what he's done against lower-level AHL competition. The Sharks mm-hmm. have two preseason games left uh, where they will start. Bugner has said that the lineup... Uh, I think on Monday is going to be 80-90% of what's going to uh, look like for opening night for him. And for for uh, who they're playing, I'll probably be close to that too. Obviously, as you get near the end of cap, Angel teams start putting out their, you know, their real Angel players uh, for these preseason games. Yeah. So, Willie Mecklen still needs to kind of play against top preseason competition, not just one or two lines of legit Angel caliber players, but three or four lines of that. Um, so, when the season starts, like I said, the competition will go up another level. Even now, established NHLers, or even when we get to the last couple of preseason games, the established NHLers, the stars, you know, they're playing preseason, going through the motions a little bit. Uh, you know, they're they're working on little things. You know, they're worried about their conditioning. Just for example, right, that game. Um, oh, <laughs> you guys didn't get to watch it. The 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 <laughs> LA, LA the LA San Jose uh, exhibition game. Yeah, sorry you guys didn't get to watch it, but <laughs> but yeah, only some uh, of us did. Shang. <laughs> but anyway, the that that game turned. There was there was a four on four end of second period. Sharks made a couple of sloppy turnovers, and within a couple minutes, the Sharks were down three to one. They had given up two four on four goals. Uh, mm-hmm. One of them was you know Tommy Hurdle being very casual with the puck up high in the offensive zone. He lost it. Austin Wagner went out, went in on a breakaway. Um, so that's kind of stuff that's not as likely to happen in NHL. That's just, you know, who cares about the preseason? You know, that's an example of sort of uh, uh, established star in the NHL, uh, uh, established star in NHL like Tommy Hurdle, just going through the motions and working on stuff and that sort of thing, trying some stuff out that he wouldn't do in a regular season game. Mm-hmm. So... In conclusion, there we won't really know if Eklund can handle, you know, the NHL uh, until October 16th when the Sharks open the season against Winnipeg. So we're still yep. not going to know with these last couple of uh, preseason games. Um, but moving on to to another point too. So I think with Eklund, another kind of con with um, not so much him starting the season with the Sharks, but him staying with the Sharks for the whole season. I think there is a legitimate worry that he can wear down over an 82-game season. Uh, He has not played anywhere close to that kind of schedule uh, as growing up as as a kid. Uh, No one, you know, when you're that young. And also, too, the the SHL season was a bit abbreviated last year, too. So, anyway, I I think that's another thing that we can see happen where he starts with the Sharks and he starts off great, but then he starts to wear down over the whole course of the season. Uh, yeah. So that's something to look out for. But anyway, let's cross one bridge at a time. That's the, you know, if, if he makes it through the full season and he's a contributor for most of it, uh, then that's amazing for an 18-year-old, uh, you know, first uh, coming off his draft year. But the first bridge we have to cross, though. So, okay, 
it's not the 82 game season, but it's the 10 game rule. Yeah, the uh, and that's a positive essentially what you're talking about, Shane. The right. 10 game rule for those that don't know about it, um, it's where teams can basically try out 18 and 19 year old players up to nine NHL games. I believe it's a certain percentage, so they changed it during last year. Um, so you can try them out up to nine NHL games before burning off a year of the highly coveted ELC. Uh, you know, Williams already signed his contract and that contract, it has that slide, that, that slide rule essentially right. to where it doesn't count if he's not playing over nine games in the NHL. So they can try him out for nine games, whether it be the first nine games, whether it be the last nine games, somewhere in the middle, sprinkled throughout, you know, if they keep him for the Barracuda, um, they can try him out for nine games without using up a year of his ELC. So that's a, a a pro essentially as far as keeping him in North America and not having him go back to the SHL. Yeah, no, absolutely. So they, they'll be able to try him out. And uh, I think that I wouldn't surprise me if that's, you know, where we're headed because when we, when we went into training camp, the biggest arguments against Eklund breaking camp with the Sharks were whether or not he'd be good enough for NHL competition, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, could he be one of the better Sharks forwards? Because we can all agree that we don't want him playing fourth line in the NHL and being scratched regularly. We don't we don't we don't we don't we don't want to see that. That does no good for his development. You know, nope. we wanna see we wanted to see if he could be one of the top six, top nine sharks forwards. And we've seen that so far. You know, again caveat early in preseason, but he has been a legit top six forward so far in the exhibition season. Really quick, Shang, off the top yep. of your head, who had the the two most uh sorry, my brain. Just stop working. The forwards with the most ice time in the last game. Uh, well, I know Eklund was one of them. So. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and he was uh, he was he was one of the top two in the LA game too. Uh, mm -hmm. He and Hurdle were the only Sharks forwards to play over 17 minutes in that game. And so, anyway, has he looked overwhelmed at all at this level? He has not at all. You know, this level that he's played at, like I said, is very low level NHL like competition. Um, he's looked. He's been better than it, you know. Not even a question of just like uh, handling it. He's been better, uh, better. He's been better than the competition, and so we have that. So he hasn't been overwhelmed at all. And the Sharks, as you mentioned at the top, they have a ton of opportunity on the wing, and so it. There, I don't see any reason at the moment why he wouldn't get at least that nine, those nine games. Yeah, I mean, you look at the the top two Sharks wingers right now are Timo Meyer, Kevin LeBanc, and the rest is just a crapshoot. You know, Jonathan Dahlin is not proven. There's question marks surrounding Evander Kane. I mean, this is the biggest ample opportunity for a player like William to come in and stake a claim as a legit top six forward to San Jose. Like you said, it all has to do with durability. Um and that's not just about his size. It's about over the span of an 82-game season. So, I don't know. I'm just excited. Cautiously optimistic is what I'll continue to say. But, Shang, you've done some, uh, as always, of course, you've done your historical homework in regards to Sharks draftees making their debuts in their D1 years, in their, in their teenage years. So, uh, tell everyone what you've uh, kind of dug up to the surface for uh, all the folks. 
Yeah, and before we get into that, uh, to, to your point about being cautiously optimistic, um, I'm not a fan, but I will say, too, that I am also cautiously optimistic about Eklund. And you know, for me, you guys know for me, for me to be optimistic about any Sharks <laughs> pro- prospect, <laughs> because we've seen a lot come through, right, the last couple of years, and a lot <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. fall short, uh, we'll just leave it at that, of, of, of the NHL bar, um, but... You know, I, I do see a different level from Eklund so far in this preseason than I have um, uh, than I have uh, from the other Sharks prospects, uh, especially up front over the last couple of preseasons. Um, his hockey IQ is really, really next level. And that may be what gets him, you know, to the next level of the NHL immediately. Um, so anyway. Going with the history stuff, though, and this is the company that Eklund can join. Uh, three Sharks have made their NHL debut, debut at 18. Uh, Patrick Marlowe and Jeff Friesen. Those are the guys that you can guess. And there's another guy that you can't guess, I'm sure. Um, but uh, Wastamil Krupa. <laughs> so that's, 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 that, that's, yeah, that's a name, right? So those are the, <laughs> those are the three uh, Sharks prospects who have made their NHL debut at 18. Uh, Marlon Friesen, of course, were forwards. Uh, Krupa was a uh, defenseman. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, though, uh, because of the late start to the NHL season, William Eklund's 19th birth- birthday is on October 12th. Oh, I'm and the Sharks open on October 16th. So X, as I've heard him called, by Ethan Cardwell on his Showbound podcast, or Eki, as Chimileski has called him, <laughs> will be 19 if he makes his NHL debut uh, this season. And that's kind of a shame that he couldn't join that company because the NHL season had started as it normally would have in early mm-hmm. October, first week of October, then Eklund would have would have uh, been 18. Anyway, though. So let's uh, let's talk about a company that Eklund can join if he makes Shark the Sharks in his draft year. And we've already talked about Marlowe, Friesen. Uh, Krupa, uh, I believe, was a 93 draft pick. And he played a number of games in the 93-94 season. So those are three Mm -hmm. guys who made the Sharks in their draft year. And there's also, these guys were 19 when they made their NHL debuts. But they played for the Sharks during their draft years. Pat Falloon, Ray Whitney, and Milan Mihalik. So that's pretty good uh, company there. But it's worth noting that Whitney and Mahalik only got a couple games each. So kind of cup of coffee things. Mm-hmm. So right now we're basically talking Falloon, who played a full season uh, with the Sharks uh, during his draft year. Jeff Friesen, Patrick Marlowe, and Vlastavil Krupa. <laughs> <laughs> so again, pretty select uh, Sharks company, except for uh, Krupa, who was a Czech defenseman, by the way, uh, drafted in, in, in a year where the Sharks uh, weren't, uh, uh, were still, yeah, we're, we're still trying to figure out their way in the league, uh, <laughs> I guess you, you can say. Um, yeah. But anyway, so, you know, can Eklund be, basically then, the, the, the question now for Eklund, uh, the historical context is, can Eklund be the first Sharks player since Patrick Marlowe to take a regular shift in the NHL in his draft year? That would be something special, Shang, honestly. I'd, um, that, that, that's so good, honestly. I just keep <laughs> thinking back to all the plays that he's making, and I keep just thinking of like the historical significance behind those names. 
you have to be a certain except level for Vlastimil Krupa. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're gonna focus <laughs> on the forwards here. Um, <laughs> you have to be at a certain echelon to be able to make the cut and play, even if it's nine games. You have to be at a certain level to get those nods. And for except the for Vlastimil Krupa, I, 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 we're gonna talk forwards here, Shay. <laughs> we're talking forwards. Um, for him to be at that level and to consistently prove to current NHL coaching and just the world just that, I, that he's at that level and the Sharks to be able to get him at the seventh overall pick, you know, it's just, I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, personally, I'd love to see him make the roster. As a fan, that gives me something to watch every night. Not the same old mundane bottom five Sharks or bottom six Sharks teams. Bottom three that, power play. That's going to change, okay? If he's making the roster, that's changing. We're going to be at least average. League average. Bottom three goaltending. <laughs> that's changing too, okay? <laughs> I will fight you to the grave for that. Hope you saw Martin Jones' debut for Philly yesterday. Kind of tell you where we were with, the, with that the last three years. But um, I digress. I feel William Eklund adds a jolt of talent, youthful exuberance. You know, this is like um, my cousin Vinny when he's like, the Utes, the Utes. <laughs> I want to see the Utes. But just from everything that I've seen on the ice, watching him play against Anaheim, watching the clips that you tweeted out of the uh, the L.A. game, he has the skills to pay the bills. <laughs> and to get that done as, as an 18-year-old, turning 19-year-old here, um, it's – it's just amazing. The Sharks' talent on the wings is, for a lack of a better word, it's it's lacking. It's downright, it's down bad. Okay, Shang, it's pretty bad. I don't know if you've noticed this, but our wing depth is uh, not good. There are so, questions. Yeah, questions. Yeah, there's there's holes. There's Grand Canyon size holes, and then there's the Sharks' wing depth. So that's my two cents as a fan. He's going to add something to this locker room. That wolf pack mentality that Mario Ferraro referenced back to. You know, he, he just adds it. He adds those different levels to this Sharks team. And, yeah, they, they're not going to go and win the Stanley Cup. But you're giving him NHL experience. You're allowing him to make a rapport with his future teammates. And I just love it. The one thing I wanted to bring up that I thought was hilarious was uh, our recent interview guest, Christian Eklund, or Fimpen Eklund, had a, a lovely Instagram post. I would recommend everybody to go look at this. It's uh, a screen cap, essentially, of William getting an, he's getting into a scrum with someone on the LA Kings. And uh, <laughs> the IG post basically says, Hey, William Eklund, or hey, son, I hope you're having fun in America, with a laughing, crying emoji, because he's just getting a <laughs> face wash. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll definitely bring it up right now. I will take the time to bring this up, because I think it's like a bookmarked here. So I'm going to bring this up and share it to you because this was honestly the greatest thing that I've seen. It's such a dad moment, too. It's it's perfect. So let me bring it up right here. There it is. It's just him getting into it, 46 of the Kings. <laughs> and he says, hey, Eklund, hope oh, you're yeah, having fun Oh, yeah, that's the one where a hurdle jumps in uh, on that one. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I just love it. It just brings exactly what the Sharks need, which is a breath of fresh air and something to watch. So... That's my closing statement in regards to it, and I'm going to use all the teal color glasses I need to justify him starting 
And I don't care if we burn the ELC. Like, he's worth it. <laughs> he's you know, worth maybe the in the Sharks locker room, you know, they need a unifying force like that. You know, I we saw this in the documentary Lord of the Rings when the ring bearer was able to bring together uh, the differing forces of Middle Earth, you know, protect the ring bearer. And so, wait, what? Only only you, Shang, can bring a <laughs> Lord of the Rings reference onto this podcast and make it relevant to hockey. I love it. <laughs> All right. Before, I think that pretty much closes up our William Eklund segment of this podcast. And uh, before we get into the Dan Boyle interview, we have a uh, to thank the sponsors of this podcast, of course, DraftKings. Week three of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week four with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official betting sports partner of the NFL. To kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving, I don't know why I got Southern there, DraftKings. DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Head over to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any game this week to receive $150 in free bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or an Indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT. And without further ado, here's our interview with Dan Boyle. And joining us today on the podcast is a special former shark that fans hold near and dear to their heart. He started out as an undrafted free agent, but went on to not only winning the highly coveted Stanley Cup, but also winning a gold medal in the 2010 Olympic Games for Team Canada. We bring to you the one and only Dan Boyle. Dan, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you. Yeah, that's good to hear. Do you like the intro? I, I'd spice that one up. Perfect for you. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. I'm I'm glad that uh, there's still some fans out there that think about me once in a while. It's good, oh, good definitely. feeling. Definitely. You know, it's only a couple years removed of. Uh, oh no, maybe it's a little bit longer than a couple years. I'm getting older now, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Sadly, I think it's five. <laughs> yeah, Oof. it's still within but, one hand. So yeah, still within. Yeah, the there hands. you go. <laughs> so Dan, how you doing this morning? I'm doing well. This I've been waiting for this opportunity for years now, and thank God I'm here today. <laughs> how and you, uh, how have you been keeping yourself busy during this uh, pandemic? Uh, I have two – well, they're not too little anymore. They're uh, two girls. They're now 11 and 13, and uh, I, uh, I'm a stay-at-home dad, uh, so they take up a lot of my time. And when I first retired, I uh, – uh, I built my dream house. I found this amazing piece of property here in Los Gatos, and uh, it took about three and a half years to build. And uh, my builder, who's also my friend, Dave Majetti, uh, has been doing it for 30 plus years. And he said that he's never met. Uh, he's also did, you know, he also did Patty's house and uh, Joe's house, Jumbo's. 
And he said in 35 years of doing this, he had never met a more <laughs> involved uh, client. So basically, I was uh, I went from being a, a hockey player to almost a contractor uh, because I was so involved. And uh, but I loved it. it; turned out great. And so for the last year and a half, it's been kind of slower. But uh, for certainly for the first three and a half, I was uh, you know five six days a week bothering Dave. It sounds like uh, Jumbo and Patty weren't too involved in the building of their house houses then. Uh, no, they're well. Uh, yeah, it sounds like their wives were were, were, were the contractors. Uh, they were busy playing, so uh, fortunately, I I had uh, all the time in the world to bother uh, Dave and all the subs. <laughs> and I wanted to uh, kind of start off actually with uh, a big reason why uh, we reached out to you. Uh, obviously, besides your great San Jose Sharks career, um, we uh, spoke with uh, uh, Christian uh, Finpen Eklund, uh about a month ago or so, and he is a William Eklund's father. And of course, you played in your garden uh, during the 2004-05 lockout with Christian Eklund. So a pretty neat connection there. Now, of course, his son William is a first-round pick with the Sharks. But one story that Christian told that I thought was funny, I don't know if you have a memory of it, but he said that you showed the entire your garden team your, your huge Stanley Cup ring. And he just remembered just how amazed he was by it. It was like, you know, looking at the ring from Lord of the Rings or something like that. Uh, okay. I, I obviously remember <laughs> my time fondly in Sweden. I, I really yeah. enjoyed it. I enjoyed the guys. I don't remember showing him the ring. Maybe uh, I'll take his word for it. But uh, no, I don't remember that. But uh, I you know, certainly had a great time there. I'm sure you showed the ring off to many, many people over the years too. So it doesn't surprise me that, you know, uh, you don't remember that, but that's just something that he told me and it made us want to kind of, Oh, you know, you play with Dan Boyle. That's, that's amazing. But, you know, let's get into your career a little bit here. And this is a story that you've told before. Uh, but you said once that, you know, you're of course, everybody kind of knows your story, but you're undrafted. Uh, and you were told by NHL co uh, coach once Grow three inches and gain twenty pounds, and you can play for me. And this is back yep. in the time when the, the league was a much, you know, bigger league, that sort of thing. So yep. my first question here is: Will we ever learn the identity of that coach? And second, uh, do you think you could tear up the league today, where size on the back end, you know, is obviously not as big a deal as it was back then? Yeah. Well, I played for three coaches in Florida, so you guys can figure out which of the three it is. <laughs> nice so head coach. Okay, we've cut it down. All right. Ah, uh, so I'm gonna guess Mike Keenan. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, <clears throat> there's also Dwayne Sutter, uh, would be another <laughs> candidate. Um, but yeah, I, uh, when I started, I, I would guess if there was five guys, if there were five defensemen in the league under 5'10, I remember Brian Leach, I remember Zuboff, and maybe, God, I don't know. There might have been three or four. And yeah. uh, it was just, it was just not a thing back then. And it didn't matter how good you were. I just, you couldn't get, you know, it was hard to get a, Rafalski and I kind of came in together at the same time. He was another one. Um, but <clears throat> they just did not care. And uh, unless you were at least six feet, if not taller, uh, they wanted no part of you. And my second year actually in Florida, first year I uh, got called up, did really well. Uh, ESPN used to put out these magazines back in the day. And I was like the unsung hero of the team and everything looked good and promising for year two. And, I went into training camp and, you know, maybe didn't have the greatest camp of my life, but I thought it was, it was good enough to make the team after showing them what I did the year before. And, um, they sent me down. I was, uh, they, they literally told me, um, 
that I was being sent down because they wanted to keep bigger defensemen. And there was a guy named John uh, uh, Jacopin was his last name. And then uh, Wilson, uh, two guys that were six, five, six, six. Uh, And they literally, you know, told me, and at least I appreciate, you know, at least he told me to my face. Uh, This was Brian Murray at the time. And, uh, you know, I've always appreciated honesty, whether I like it or not, at least tell me to my face. And he flat out said, we're going to keep bigger guys. And they sent me down year two and, went down there again and came back up again. But um, yeah, back then it was just, uh, it was frowned upon. And now today you see two or three on every team and uh, defensemen under five or sorry, six feet. Um, And I think the position has changed. The game's changed and the views of scouts and GMs and coaches have changed. And and so should, should they, because, you know, you know, you can argue some of the better defensemen in the league are all, you know, less than six feet. You know, in the uh, the 98-99 season, the Sharks and the Panthers had that uh, that double dip down with Kentucky and the Thoroughblades. So you were actually, <clears throat> excuse me, you were actually yeah. teammates with Evgeny Nabokov yeah. down in Kentucky in 98 and 99, you know, prior to you playing together on the Sharks. Do yeah. you have any good Nabokov stories from <laughs> Kentucky? Well, his English isn't great today, but his English back then was horrible. <laughs> uh, yeah, he wasn't the only one. I played with a bunch of San Jose guys, you know, Mark Smith, uh, Bradley. Uh, there was, I mean, like I said, there were, that was another little thing in my story is my first year signing with Florida, their farm team was in New Haven, Connecticut. But then they send three, we call ourselves the rejects. They send four of us to Lexington, Kentucky. So we weren't even on their radar to be sent to the farm team. We were kind of shipped away to Lexington, Kentucky, which was San Jose's farm team at the time. And it ended up being a blessing in disguise because it was, it was a great team. I played for Roy, who's still with the team today uh, with the Barracuda. Um, got to meet uh, a ton of shark guys. Um, you know, Nabby obviously was our, was our goalie. And um, it, it was an amazing time. And I, I kid about Nabby, but um, you know, I, I saw, it was another guy that was kind of came out of nowhere. And next thing you know, he's one of the better goalies in the NHL. So it was pretty amazing to watch um, his, his succession too. So um, just an amazing, I guess, year there. And, 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 you know, thank God Roy. Um, I think I played 30 minutes in the first game. He didn't care whether I was a Florida guy or a San Jose guy. He just wanted to put the best players out there. And thankfully, if it wasn't for him, uh, I don't know where I'd be today. So it kind of sounds then that, uh, because I don't know if people have really heard this part of your story, that Roy Sommer in some way is really a kind of a, a springboard for your success, right? He gave you your first big pro shot in a way. A hundred percent. Yeah, it was Roy Sommer and, and Nick Fotillo at the time. And, <laughs> you know, like I said, here we are, four Florida guys trying to crack a, a San Jose farm team, which, um, you know, uh, maybe as a, as, a, as a San Jose shark, you, you want to see your, your own guys thrive. You don't want to, you know, you know, see Florida Panther uh, players come in and, and take over ice time. But Roy, like I said, didn't care. Um, uh, thankfully looked at me as, as, as just one of the guys. And uh, I, I played a ton under him. And if it wasn't for him, like I said, I, I don't know where I'd be today. So uh, my hat's off and I've always, you know, thanked Roy for, for giving me my first opportunity as a pro- professional player. 
And uh, we want to get to the the shark stuff. You know, we could talk to you uh, for a while, but we want to <laughs> get you off and let you enjoy your day. Uh, but I wanted to ask you one question about uh, your angel uh, time before San Jose. And uh, we recently had uh, Kevin Allen uh, on the pod, uh, formerly of USA Today. And he told us about the tensions between Vinny LeCalvier and John Tortorella during the 2003-04 Stanley Cup season with the Lightning. And so just can you give us any of, of, of that insight in, ter- in terms of how you guys overcame that situation? Because we asked Kevin, in relation to the Sharks and the Vander Kane situation, just how do you kind of overcome locker room stuff uh, to win? Well, as far as Tortorella, it wasn't Tortorella and Vinny. It was Tortorella and everybody else. Uh, <laughs> Torts, Torts is, uh, was a great coach and, again, played – led the league in ice time under him for four or five years or was at least a top three. So not, not a whole lot to complain about there, but he was, you know, he was tough. I mean, you have to have thick skin and it wasn't just Vinny. Uh, With Torts, it didn't matter if you were a fourth line guy or the captain or the top defenseman or forward, he was going after everybody. And uh, so I think his coaching style um, is, not everyone coaches the same. He, he wanted some guys to play in spite of them, like fire guys up and kind of like go out and let me show you kind of a thing. And so as a locker room, it was important that we stuck together. And I think that's where Dave Anderchuk, I think that's where a captain uh, needs is uh, an important figure. Uh, Torts would come in, yell and scream and, you know, <laughs> motherfuck everybody basically. Uh, pardon my you know, French, but, um, and then doors would close and Andy would just kind of grab the team. And Mm. it was kind of like F him, you know, let's go out. We're the guys going the ice. Let's go do this. So the team has to stick together. So there can be some friction between the coaches and the players, but hopefully, um, the players can kind of stick together. So as far as with, I don't know about the insides of the Vander Kane story and what the guys think. So I I would probably stay out of it as far as my two cents, but um, Mm -hmm. hopefully the locker room guys, hopefully Logan's got a a good, you know, control of his, of of the group. And, you know, hopefully uh, that can, that can hopefully, uh, what am I trying to say here? Just, it's, it's just important for the guys to stick together. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course, of course. And uh, when uh, Tampa traded you to San Jose in 2008, I was, you know, messy situation. You didn't want yeah. to waive your no trade clause at first. Then uh, Tampa threatened to waive you, and that's a place where a team like Atlanta, you know, could have could have picked you up yeah. off of waivers. Yeah. Uh, and of course, all's well that ends well. You end up in San Jose. Things went great there. But you know, do you ever think about what could have been there? I mean, you could have saved hockey in Atlanta, or you could have been Winnipeg's first big star. <laughs> I know. I uh, and again, I, I don't know. Any, sales, I don't know. Dan. What's that? Imagine the jersey sales. <laughs> yeah, and again, I I I don't know anything about Atlanta, the organization and stuff. Yeah, but I just it's you don't want to go to a last place team. I, sure, I was too, I'm too I'm too competitive, and the way that the the system is is they would get first cracks or first dibs at you. So the whole thing was ugly. I mean, I, I don't mind talking poorly about those owners. I mean, Warren and, and Lenny, or <laughs> I, I just spoke earlier about you know being honest and upfront, and right. uh, they were anything but. You know, they were telling me you're the guy. I went out to L.A. and you know had dinner with them, and you're the guy. You're the guy. Meanwhile. I'm being shopped and, you know, behind my back. So again, I, I, I don't have anyone can get traded. Wayne can get traded. So everyone can get traded. I'm okay with that. I just, I didn't like the, uh, 
the dishonesty um, and behind the back stuff about it. So when I kind of finally turned the page on the fact that I was going to go one way or another, uh, the good news is I had the no trade clause, got to kind of narrow down, uh, you know, literally wrote down a piece of paper, 29 teams, crossed out about half of them right away. You know, then you're reeling it in from 15 teams down. I had like a pros list, a cons list, you know, brought it down to like five or six and, you know, San Jose, San Jose was always like on, in the top three and, and just kind of narrowed it down to three, I think three teams and then spoke to a couple players, ex-players um, and just, you know, it was, it was a little bit of a, a chance. Obviously I knew they were a good team. I knew a few of the players, but I didn't know much about the area. And uh, um, my wife was pregnant at the time. So it was a little bit of a stab, not a stab in the dark, but not knowing the area, which is a big, part of moving somewhere I, it was a little bit of a chance but uh i'm here today years later and uh don't regret that uh decision for a second so it seems like the weather and the mexican <laughs> food probably won you over it did it did i love both uh i love both and i yeah i thought florida was growing up as an east coast canadian you think florida is like the mecca so you know east coast canadians the snowbirds were always always going down to florida and, and florida you know is is good but uh, the California weather, I think year-round, I don't think there's anything better. Uh, can you say the other two teams you're considering besides San Jose? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a Flyers fan growing up my whole life, so um, Philly was one of the teams that I was willing to go to. Uh, and then the other team, uh, I'm from Ottawa originally, but my parents, my whole family, uh, there were no Ottawa teams growing up, so yeah. or the Senators weren't there. So everyone grew up a Montreal fan. So oh. I figured, you know, it would make my dad's kind of dream come true. I'd be not too close to home, but yet not too far, you know, within two, two and a half, two hours away. So it was kind of like a hometown adjacent um, thing. And uh, so that was the other opportunity. But at the end of the day, I just think that uh, San Jose had the better team and the better chance that, you know, you know we never did win the cup, but we certainly uh, had some pretty strong teams for the six years right. that I was here. So that was, that was ultimately what brought me here. And you know, uh, with uh, Philadelphia, Montreal, did they have you know competitive offers that Tampa would have considered, or I don't know if you know that part of it. We never got to. It wasn't. It wasn't money. It was. It was all about opportunity. And uh, sure. I think. I think in, in in Philadelphia at the time there was Kimo Timonen, who was kind of their offensive guy, and then Montreal at the time had. Uh, uh, Markov, I think uh, this. I'm going way back here, but right, uh, you know, they already had a couple guys that were kind of in that spot that I needed to be, and uh, unless they were going to be moved, uh, it wasn't really the place for me. So sure. uh, in San Jose, you know, they had had Brian Campbell the year before, but he was gone or he was on his way out. So um, there was a nice hole for me here. And um, again, at the end of the day, I just. I just saw an opportunity to win the cup. And although we didn't, uh, again, we, we had some of the best teams I've ever played on. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of uh, one of those teams, uh, you know, right when you come to San Jose, you're picked to the all-star team uh, in 2009, your first time uh, making the all-star team. Uh, you know, you should have been picked uh, in, when you were in Tampa Bay, Yeah, <laughs> but, <I know>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it took a while. Uh, and then also too, uh, you uh, made the Canadian Olympic team. And then of course you went on to win the gold in 2010. So did you feel in those first couple of years in San Jose that you were finally getting the recognition that you deserved? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I think in Tampa, I was playing behind, you know, we had Lacalle, Richards, and uh, Marty St. Louis, who were all getting a ton of headlines. And uh, myself and a few other guys that, you know, were, were, were decent players, were just not quite being recognized. And that's fine. I didn't need that. Uh, but yeah, you know, to, to I think I had 63 points one year. I had 20 goals. I never made the All-Star team in the five years that I played in Tampa. So not sure how that happened, but uh, it is what it is. Um, you know, get to San Jose. And again, we had a few big names, you know, obviously with Jumbo and, and Patty and came in with Rob Blake and stuff. So I don't know that I was necessarily uh, uh, looking to be somebody that stood out or anything. I just, right. I, uh, I ended up getting recognized for, for what I, for what I did. And uh, yeah, I just, uh, again, and, 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 and speaking of, of Roy and I came in with a coach and Todd that was coaching his first year and didn't really know what I was getting into. So it was a little bit of a roll of the dice and, you know, again, hats off and, and, and uh, Todd allowed me to play my game from, from day one um, coached me uh the way that I needed to be coached and just allowed me to do my thing. And I learned in an 18 year career that uh, if you don't have the right guy behind the bench uh, supporting you, uh, you're, you're, you're not going to be able to, to, to do uh, as well as, as you can. So it's very important for me to have Todd here. And, and he was a, an amazing uh, coach and presence behind the bench. Yeah. And it shows cause that first year in 08 and 09, not only were the Sharks an incredible team, you went 53, 18, and 11, but you also won the President's Trophy yeah. as the best team in the NHL. So, like, there's no disputing that fact. Um, but then, of course, to no avail, Anaheim decided yeah. to come in and take us out in the first round there, you know? Yeah. So, 12 years later, Dan, do you still – uh? You still go to battle with that loss, or how do you square away with that, yeah. that first round? Exit? Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I – you can argue – I won a cup in Tampa. Um, I played some really good teams in uh, Tampa and New York uh, as well at the end of the, but I, I, I think that president team, um, I think that might be the best team that, um, that I played on uh, as far as on paper goes. Um, a couple of things stick out. Uh, I think obviously Anaheim, you know, they came in and, and, and gave us more than a run for money. They beat us. Um, mm -hmm. They had, uh, I remember their goalie was standing on top of his head. Um, so uh, I think that was part of it. Uh, obviously some of us didn't play as well as we needed to. I think um, from my first season as a shark and my sixth, I saw a lot of change in some of the players and, and what I saw the first year to the last year. And I think they grew, they got a lot better. And even though we never ultimately won the Stanley cup, I think some guys, um, when I, that first year, I just didn't think that they were doing enough in the playoffs to get to that next level. And by the time I left, a lot of players that were still there, um, certainly I think showed me that they grew. And uh, mm -hmm. so great team, one of the best teams I've ever been on. Just, uh, I don't think, you know, position to position, we weren't good enough. Anaheim was, and um, you know, they, they deserve to win that series. Uh, Patrick Marlowe's captaincy was given to Rob Blake the next year, and fairly or unfairly, uh, Patrick's leadership, maybe because he's a quiet guy, uh, you know, was under target in those days. And so, you know, what did you think of Patrick Marlowe as a leader, as a captain of the team? Well, I spoke about, you know, Dave Anderchuk. Uh, you know, certain players have the gift of uh, talking and, and being yeah. a little louder, and, and Patty is not one of those guys 
But, uh, you know, a captain has to lead on the ice. First and foremost, I think, you know, yes, you can be a little louder in the locker room, a little more vocal. But if you're not out there giving it your all every night, and I think Logan uh, is doing that for the Sharks right now, um, you know, he's not the most vocal guy either, or maybe he has been the last couple of years. But um, I think that's what the most important thing is. And I, I think Patty was giving us everything he could on the ice. And, and so he certainly was not the most vocal off, but um, you know, whether it was Patty or, or Rob Blake, it didn't change anything for me. Um, you know, that's, that's a decision that the GM and the coach wanted to make, but um, whether it's fair or unfair, I, I, it's not my position to say Patty's always worked hard on the ice and that to me is the most important thing a, a captain needs to do yeah and that goes to show with him breaking that um <clears throat> that games played record just this last season just how much effort and work he puts both on yeah. and off the ice so yeah yeah you can't expect the young guys to come in and work hard if if your captain's not giving it his all on every shift on every night so that's that's to me is the most important thing a captain can do so during the 2010 playoffs you know, the Sharks were able to finally break into that the conference finals. You know, Marlowe and Jumbo were able to answer to a lot of the, the critiques from, mm -hmm. you know, the outside noise uh, on their playoff performances. Um, so how good did it feel to see them break through, especially against, you know, Detroit, you know, public enemy yeah. number one yeah. back in those days, you know, in the second round that year? Yeah, uh, again, the, the fact, you know, it's, Listen, there, there's players that are average that have three, four cups uh, right now. There are guys playing that are that are you know they're important players. They're they're glue players, and and you know Jumbo and Patty have have none. So you have to be at the right place at the right time. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. it hasn't worked out for either of them yet. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, listen, they're 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 Hall of Famers. Um, you know, it was nice to see them. You know, again, we didn't win the whole thing, but. To, to shut some people up. Um, and it's certainly nice to see. I, I enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, you, to get to, to win a cup, I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, come on. I mean, you got to play 82 games and then your playoffs and, you know, you're talking a hundred plus games. Um, everything's got to just line up properly. And we were close on a number of occasions, but never quite yep. um, were able to get the whole thing done. Yep. Uh, speaking of uh, uh, shutting people up, and you strike me, Dan, and based on what I've read, too, you seem like a guy that likes to shut up your critics. Uh, is there a, a favorite moment of yours in your career doing that, be it All-Star Team, Stanley Cup, whatever it is, but just that you have a favorite moment where you're just like, yeah, you know, F you, world. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, just, I just look at my 18-year career as a whole. I've got uh, almost mm. 1,100 games. Uh, you know, you want to add playoffs and Olympic games and – you know, minor league games, you know, I've played about 1500 games. Um, what still bothers me and I'm 45 now, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> um, it, it's just the FU is, is, is how the fuck can a scout and these scouts are important, but the GMs, the scouts, everyone in the team, I don't know how many teams there were back in 98 when I, you know, was eligible for being drafted, but here I, here I am, like, I won, you know, best defenseman in, in college, and I'm a runner-up for Hobie Baker. And it's like, 
I don't expect to be taken in the first round or the second or the third. You know, I'm not, like I said, I'm not six feet. But how does someone back then not take a flyer on one, mm-hmm. one of the best college defensemen, college players is beyond me. I don't know how many rounds there were back then, eight, nine, or 10 times 30 teams. You know, do the math. It just, that, that just to this day blows my mind. So it is what it is. Um, but I think my, the fact that I've played this many games and what I did on the ice is, is the F you to the scouts and, and the guys that never really gave me the opportunity back then. And, you know, I guess um, getting a little sidetracked here, but going back to that, did you talk to any teams before your draft here? Like, did you have any you know, sense that you might get drafted or zero? Nobody no. talked to you. Zero, <laughs> zero. I, uh, I was leading defense. You know, like I said, I was a Hobie Baker finalist. I remember kind of getting a, an agent, um, George, um, my agent, George Bezos, uh, sure. kind of hooked up with him my senior year. And when my senior year ended, we, he talked to every team. And I think Florida uh, and Chicago, maybe, I believe, had mild interest. But mm-hmm. um, if it wasn't another guy that I have to think, uh, and I've spoken about him before, is Bill Davich. He was a part-time scout for the Florida Panthers. And he was also the golf instructor at Miami, Ohio, where I went to school. So that was my, that was how I got my foot in the door is he begged the Florida Panthers to sign me. Uh, and I don't even know if they had ever seen me play. And they, they gave me, I think, a, a bag of peanuts to sign uh, and bag of pucks <laughs> to sign a, a contract with them. And that's the only way I got in. So I got my foot in the door. Thanks to Bill. And thanks to the Florida Panthers. Uh, but yeah, to this day, um, and I'm not the only one that was undrafted, so obviously a lot of guys pass. But right, you know, some some guys are late bloomers. Like I get guys that are late bloomers that don't, you know, like I understand how you can miss that. But yeah, you know, guys that are at the top of their game playing against other players at the top of their games, and, and that just has always blown my mind. Uh, well, do you remember your first contract? Was it like? A five thousand dollars signing bonus and a free uh, gift know, card to David Buster's. Yeah, yeah, basically. I know I made I know I made fifty thousand and seventy five thousand my first two years. Um and then I I think the league minimum at the time was like was it two hundred, something like that, when you were up. But I wasn't up yeah. the whole year. So yeah, you know, I was making fifty grand uh, my first year, which, you know, for maybe some people is is is, is okay, but uh you know, for, for when you, when you look around the room and you got guys that are sure <laughs> a, a, a fraction of the player you are that are collecting bonuses of, you know, a million dollars and, and making, you know, it, it was just, it was humbling. Uh, I was mm-hmm. happy to be there. Uh, it made me who I am. So I'm not ungrateful, but, um, you know, looking back at the time, it was, it was, uh, it was surreal. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's uh, bring things back to San Jose uh, a little bit here. And um, this actually is also related to Tampa Bay. Uh, You talked about uh, with John Tortorella um, how he allowed you to the freedom to be yourself. Just for example, he let you be as a defenseman, the first guy in the four check was, you know, fairly unusual. And so I, you mentioned that Todd also, also gave you that freedom too. And so can you just talk about uh, Todd letting you do something similar here and also to how he maybe allowed you to add even more uh, to the things that you were doing out there? 
Yeah, well, real quick, I got to go back to torts. I mean, it took yep. it took it took a while. I mean, it wasn't he didn't <laughs> just give it to me. Uh, it took a lot of meetings, and uh, it, it it took when I got there, the team was out of the playoffs. They were the last place team in the league, and when I got traded there, they were kind of done. So they were just kind of throwing guys out there and seeing what stuck. And for me, I knew that playing the way that the coaches wanted me to play in Florida, I it wasn't going to be. I was going to be out of the league. If I kept doing what I was asked to do, I was going to be gone. So when I got to Tampa, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to play what the way I want to play, the way that I played growing up. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, I'm out of the league anyways. So thankfully, Torts let me do my thing. We had a few meetings. Uh, and then when I got to San Jose, I was established. So, sure. uh, you know, Todd kind of had to allow me to do my thing, but he didn't necessarily need to. But him and I had a few good conversations and uh, – we, I remember that one conversation that sticks out was I said, Todd, I, I remember, I remember saying like, allow me to do my thing. If eight times out of 10, it works. And two out of times, it tends, it doesn't, that's okay. I think that's, that's pretty good. I said, once we get to seven, it's a little gray. And then I wouldn't want to be a guy that would be a 60, 40 kind of a guy. But if, mm-hmm. if, if doing something awkward or different eight times out of 10 works, you got to let me do it. And, you know, just, whether it's going on the four check or whatever, I will be your first guy back. I said, don't, you don't have to worry about that. You know, I know the game is supposed to be played a certain way, but why, why would you stop a defenseman from four checking? If he's going to get you the puck, allow your forwards to change, give it back to him, keep puck possession and be the first guy back. If there is a breakdown. So that's the way that I saw the game. Um, You know, certain coaches don't see it that way to this day. They don't. But thankfully, Todd allowed me to play my game. And then I think he allowed me to do a little bit more, which was on the penalty kill. And, you know, you know, in a couple of years, I was playing, paired with Mark Edward Vosick. So we were playing against the top lines. So I got to develop a little bit more of an, an overall, more of an overall um, rounded game uh, under Todd as well. Uh, do you think, too, uh, speaking of, you know, when it, everyone uh... – talks about Dan Boyle the first thought is on the offensive side of things do you think that it, you, you alluded to it just now uh, do you think that uh, your defensive game was maybe underappreciated and like you mentioned uh, Todd allowed that to blossom a bit yeah probably I think when you're an offensive defenseman you have to put points up I had some of my best games where I had no points and I had some of my best weeks I had no points and you know the media you know Boyle's sucks or for for lack of better words you know he's having a a tough time he's cold as ice you know meanwhile if you're a defensive defenseman and you have no points and you're a plus six or plus seven and you've kept the other teams off the board you're doing great so it was kind of a a a bittersweet thing where hey if i'm putting up the points yes i'm going to be recognized but if i'm shutting down the other team's lines and i'm not getting on the scoreboard i was getting destroyed so uh i obviously never cared too much about that because if I did, I would have lost my mind early, <laughs> but, uh, you know, certainly, you know, you, you, you have to ask players I competed against that, you know, was I tough to play against? And, and I hope the answer is yes, because was I the biggest guy? No. Was I the strongest? No. But, uh, those guys had a responsibility to know where I was on the ice as well. And if they didn't, they were going to end up with a minus themselves. So, um, I think there's a little bit more to, uh, what is, best as far as what a defenseman can do so um yeah i uh i was probably underrated on the defensive part of things but uh that's what that's what comes with being a i think an offensive defenseman as well 
You um you know Brent Burns was actually traded to the Sharks in the early 2010s. Did he uh how much like impact did you have on his game and his maturation as that offensive defenseman because now he's out there yeah. dancing circles around yeah. five six you know skaters including yeah. a goaltender and just scoring some highlight reel yeah. goals. So yeah, he what? he came he came to us and I I don't remember a ton of conversations that we had. Uh, and then I think he got hurt a lot. And then the next year he was like playing forward. And so he had a little bit of a, a wild few years while I was here, uh, with, yeah. with injuries and, and playing forward and stuff. So I don't think he had come into his own yet. Um, but again, here, Brent and I are both known as two offensive defensemen, but we don't play the game the same way. Mm -hmm. You know, Brent's a big, strong man, uh, has a huge shot, uh, you know, obviously, has done some tremendous things and, you know, I needed to be a little bit quicker and I was smaller and, you know, my shot wasn't as big. So I needed to get myself, you know, involved. So we, although we were offensive defensemen, uh, yeah. I think we played the game, you know, differently. And, and he certainly, uh, you know, obviously has done some tremendous things with his career. So. Capping off your San Jose career a, a little bit, you know, the first five years were, uh, you know, tremendous, unquestionable uh, success. Uh, speaking to that, uh, just a press box conversation I had a couple of years ago with a reporter that you know well, David Pollack, uh, who was with the Mercury News yeah. when you were playing. Uh, and I just was asking him, you know, who was the, and I don't think I'm sharing too much here. I asked him, who's the best San Jose Shark that you ever covered, just in terms of just how good he was, how much of an impact on the ice uh, that he had. And he mentioned uh, your name. And, you know, for a guy like that who's seen a lot of Sharks hockey, uh, and a lot of great Sharks players, some that you played with, to cite your name in that way, you know, just speaks to just uh, how impressive you you uh, you were as a Shark. Uh, but you know, the last season there the, with San Jose was uh, tough. Um, started the season with a dirty hit from Maxim Laperriere, and you've described the before the 2013-14 season just how proud to be able to complete it. Uh, but it was a real struggle for you just that year in general. And so can you just kind of talk about that yeah. a bit? Yeah, as far as David's uh, comment to that, uh, you know, it, it's it's an honor, uh, obviously. I, It's not for me. I, I've been talking about myself here today because I've had to, but uh, I don't love talking about myself. Uh, yeah. I, I certainly appreciate others saying nice things and it makes you feel good and warm. But uh, and I appreciate him saying that. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm extremely proud of my last year in San Jose. It was the worst one I had statistically. It was the worst one I had as far as uh, product or, or how I was out there. But um, most people, besides my wife and my kids and probably my family, nobody really knew what I was going through, which uh, ever since that hit, um, you know, I, I think I was going – sleepless nights or you know back to backs i had two three hours of sleep in my body and we know we both we all know we can't function that way uh, i had balance issues um almost ptsd type of thing where i was on the ice and i, I was getting flinching which i had never done getting scared um turning different ways to protect you know it was just it was just messy but uh, i missed four games i was out cold for seven and a half minutes on the ice and you know being knocked out when you see whether it's football players, UFC players, they're, you know, 10 seconds, you know, sniffing salts and they're up. I was out for set. They cut to commercial breaks. Uh, I was out for seven and a half minutes and I missed four games. I missed a week. Um, 
in hindsight, should I have taken more time off? Probably. Would it, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's hard to say if I would have recovered better. But uh, yeah, that whole season, I just, I, 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 I lost confidence because I just, I wasn't, uh, I was struggling. I was struggling uh, mentally, physically. Uh, but that being said, I found a way. I found a way to, 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 to at least get out there and, and, and help out. Maybe not like I had in the past, but I'm, I'm certainly proud of, of that season. Although it was the worst one I had, you know, uh, here in San Jose. I was going to ask if you uh, regretted maybe not uh, taking a little time off there. Um, you know, maybe now you would have, you know, uh, knowing now, I guess, what we know about concussions and attitudes yeah. toward that have, have changed and whatnot. Was there ever a point in that season when you started feeling right? Or was that, a, a, you know, really an entire season struggle for you? Yeah, no, it was an entire season struggle. Oh. I, I, I felt, I, it's hard to say. I mean, I could have stayed away and, I could be exactly, I could have been exactly the same, you know, it's hard to say, you know, but um, in hindsight, yeah. I mean, if I could go back and, and maybe take a, a couple of weeks off, uh, I would have done it, but I, I just don't, it is not in my character to, to do that. And uh, you know, there's another play. I remember in New York, uh, I, I got knocked out cold on the ice. It was an overtime goal against Washington. I took a lot of heat the next day. Uh but I, I got knocked out. The, the lights of Madison Square Garden went out. I, I was, but I still recovered and kind of tried to get back in the play. The guy ended up scoring the winning goal. Actually, it was Joel Ward, I think. Um, really? okay. But it was just, it was just, I just, I, I just never quit. And I can't, mm -hmm. for me, I, 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 I couldn't stay out of the, the lineup. I just, I couldn't do it. Um, my whole career, I, I could never do it. So easier said than done, but uh uh, I, I gave I gave it my best. Yeah, yeah. And uh, speaking of your uh, career in uh, New York, um, one of the things that that I've uh, learned actually when you were coming to San Jose, a conversation that you had with your wife at the time when before Tampa traded you San Jose was you had a, maybe a desire to go to a more traditional hockey city, and. Um, Obviously, you ended up in San Jose, which was a great hockey town, but right. in a different way. But eventually, yeah. though, you did get yourself into a more traditional hockey market like New York. And yeah. so how did you enjoy that? You know, did that kind of live up to uh, that billing of, you know, being on the biggest stage in the uh, in the world um, at Madison Square Garden, that sort of thing? Yeah, again, it was it was about getting an opportunity to win, too. They had a really good team. And right. our first year, we won the President's Trophy, got to Game 7 against Tampa, one game away from the Stanley Cup Finals, and we lost that game. So it was the right decision. I put myself in the best position possible to get back to the Cup. We fell short. Um, I would say my time in New York is a mixed bag. I think the players were amazing. The team was amazing. You know, trainers were amazing. I just, uh, it was, a, you know, going back to being allowed to play your game. And although I was down, you know, I, I certainly was at the end of my career, uh, I still maybe didn't play uh, the way that I would have liked to have been allowed to play. I guess I'll, I'll leave it at that. But um, I, I wish I could have been there earlier on in my career. Uh, it was an amazing two years there. Uh, I got to reunite with Marty, my good friend, St. Louis, and, uh, you know, it just fell short. But, uh, but uh, yeah. Uh, uh, closing out uh, the New York uh, experience, I had to ask you about this. You know, do you have any regrets about the Larry Brooks incident? Not one bit. I uh, I played again over 1,100 
you know, probably close to 1,500 games. Uh, I would say 99% of you guys in the media treated me well and with respect. And uh, he was a he was a piece of shit. And uh, the <laughs> the response that I got from my teammates and the response that I got from my ex players that I didn't even know that played there that blew up my phone the next day and that night only further made me realize that I did the right thing because when you start out four or five and oh and on the next day when you take up a full page and you tear into a player the way that he did that was one of a thousand things he did but it was personal with him and he's vindictive and he's it's not uh, so I do I do not regret it for a second uh, because he deserved that and more and the fact that so many players and ex-players reached out to me only justified that this man is not uh, in it for the right reasons you guys are supposed to cover teams and if you want to carve a player for not working hard or making uh, enough effort I'm all for that but to go out of your way to, to, to let you know carve to players when wasn't even on the ice for a goal and it was my fault wasn't even on the ice in boston i remember the game dan boyle didn't pick up his man dan boyle wasn't even on the ice so do your job and do it right and i don't have a problem but uh i have no regrets this was a question that i asked actually we had uh mario ferraro on the podcast a couple weeks ago and mario was way too nice to answer the question but i think that you will answer this question uh i'm always curious about just media player relations and you mentioned that you know 99% of your experiences were positive uh, but yeah. just in general though uh, you know how can you know at least from a player's perspective how can media improve uh, their coverage of you guys well again I think a, a lot not a lot some people don't have a clue about the game and I think that's what the players get frustrated about when they're asked about plays that are ridiculous that, that, mm-hmm. that, that, so I think being informed about the game that you're watching, uh, again, what is, what is your end game? Are you just trying to be vindictive and get a story or are you, and that's where guys don't like it. I have yeah. no problem with a reporter calling me out if my effort wasn't good, but, um, you know, if a reporter is just out to get a story, that's what bothers players. And again, I think 99% of you are, are, are good people and meanwhile, but there's a few bad apples out there that are just trying to get their names somewhere. And I think those are the ones that us players don't respect and unfortunately have to deal with your, all year long. And yeah, so, uh, I guess on that, on that point, uh, just a one uh, question about that. I, as a reporter, you know, watching the game, trying to watch it closely, it's always, it's not always easy to tell if, if a guy is kind of dogging it or not, you know, <laughs> you know, you said you, that, you know, as you a player, go- you, you, huh? When you, when you say docking it, meaning like, like not giving it his all, yeah, 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 yeah. I see. Yeah, yeah. A, a player. Um, yeah, like you said, like if a reporter calls you out for that, you're cool with that. But you know, how how can a reporter tell that? You know, if a player is maybe not, you know. Uh you want to call me out on my effort? That's fine. I'm yeah. going to call you out on your question. Uh, and yeah, if it's a, fair if it's, a, if it's if it's a give and take thing, you know, that's fine. I, I I remember being asked in San Jose by Mark Purdy the the series that we lost to to, to Los Angeles, which was epic. We lost the, we blew a three nothing lead, and he comes in and asks me after game five if we're just taking it easy because we know that we have four games to close them out. To me, that's a fucking ridiculous question. I think if you ask that, you're an idiot. And um, 
you know, don't ask me something like that. You want to ask me about a yeah. certain play and that's fine. I, I have no problem. I just think that it needs to be two way street. And sometimes when a player fights back a little bit, um, he's frowned upon. It's frowned upon. Yeah, it does seem like it's just in my experience in the media. No, it, it's it's great that, that you're, you're saying this, that there could be a little more of a two-way street, even if it's it, behind it, closed doors, you know? Yeah, and if you, you know, question yeah, and if you, and if you, and if you question a guy's uh, work ethic, then yeah, by all means, ask. And, and, and like you said, behind closed doors, not everything needs to be in front of a camera uh, right. recorded, you know? Um, I remember having some conversations with Drew Remenda back in the day, you know, like, Hey, you know, he said something on the air and I'm like, Hey, this is what I was thinking. And he's like, Oh, okay. I get it. And that's fine. And that was just a respect thing. And I, and I love Drew. And um, I think that's, that's the way that it could be. You know, uh, either way, it sounds like you cashed in on a couple of free beers from some teammates over that uh, <laughs> telling Larry Brooks off. So. Uh, yeah, I, I, I got I, I felt bad for about an hour and then until the, the, the phone started blowing up and then I, I, the guys picked me up. And uh, that's kind of when I knew that uh, I did the right thing. And, and again, teammates, coaches, GMs, you know, everybody's important, trainers and stuff, but your brothers in the locker room. Those are the guys that you, you know, you go out to battle with. And that's, that's always who I cared about first and foremost. And then, you know, your fans, but your fans don't get to go in the locker room, but um, that's, that's basically all I care about. So we mentioned earlier how uh, we can still count on one hand, how many years you've been removed from the NHL, but we're starting to slowly move over to that other hand. <laughs> and you mentioned after your retirement that if you were to have a hockey job, it would be as an NHL GM, you know, maybe you can bring something to the hockey world that others don't see, you know, go, you know, going through that undrafted yeah. kind of way that you went and yeah. being counted out your entire career. Is that still in the cards for you, Dan? Or are you still kind of perusing around or uh, what, what are your thoughts on coming yeah. back to the game? Uh, I, I got burnt out from the game, no doubt. Uh, so that's kind yeah. of why I've stayed away from it. But never say never. I, I, I would certainly, like I said, if I had to come back, that would be my first. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to be behind the bench. I think that's a grind. Uh, and, and being a coach and the video that they watch is just, it's just too much. That's not something I can do. But um, I think in today's world, there's a lot of analytics and, and, you know, can this six foot two guy, what's his wingspan and what can he, you know, I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not really all about that. I think I, 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 I think I have a hockey mind and I think that I just need to see a player play and I need to see a player's character. Um, and I think that that excites me as far as putting a team together. And then, you know, you got to hire the right people to make sure that the players are coached properly. But, um, you know, it would be interesting down the few, you know, down the road at some point, seeing if that would be in the cards for me. Cause I think that, um, you got to know a little bit more than just, uh, you know, what a guy's wingspan is to, to put a team together. Gotcha. Yeah, no, hundred, that makes complete sense. And obviously, you know, more about that than maybe the average hockey fan or definitely at the average hockey fan but the average hockey player as well um so we're not counting it out yet so um, <laughs> we'll i might have to circle back with you on that one <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you know looking at the sharks and kind of where they're at now you said in an interview before that the sharks have too much talent in the locker room to essentially not be making the playoffs and not be making the playoffs to you is pretty shocking so coming after their second year in a row not making the playoffs 
does that statement still hold true for you? Well, it did when I made it at the time. Um, yeah. I think this past season was obviously a, a little tougher uh, to watch. Um, you know, they're they're with with the cap world now. They're 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 in a cap situation where they're 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 paying a few guys a lot of money, mm-hmm. and uh, that's tough. Um, that's when you have to sort of like now find guys that are going to be not just filling holes, but they need to be important players and they need to be on some very favorable contracts. And yeah, um, yeah it's, it's tough. I mean, they're, they're, they're obviously, you know, the goalies are going to have a fresh, fresh looking some faces back there. So hopefully that can turn things around a little bit. Uh, need some, some better seasons out of some veterans and then, you know, let, let some of the young guys come in and not only fight for spots, but they need to make a difference. Um, and uh, I don't know what the future holds, but I'm, I'm excited to watch. And uh, Dan, uh, thank you so much for your time. We just got a couple more here for you. But I, I guess uh, 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 jumping on what you just said, um, you know, the Sharks have a lot of, uh, you know, big money defensemen now. I know a couple of these guys are guys you played with, so you can't speak too much about their individual situations. But, you know, just as a guy yourself who, you know, had to, who was elite defenseman, you had to deal with age and how that kind of, you have to adapt to, you know, maybe some degree of decline in your physical skills. Can you just talk about just how you adapted uh, uh, as you got older uh, to still, you know, uh, try to do what you were accustomed to doing as a player? Yeah, I, I think if thing again, going back to my eight out of 10, right? If you're still trying to make the same plays and now you're at five out of 10, then you got to start to switch it up. Um, right. By, by switch it up might mean simplify, whether it's playing less, whether it's not trying the same plays that you used to, you know, making different reads, um, you got to go with your success rate. I, I strongly encourage the players to, to try to keep playing their game as long as they can. But once they start to, you know, go below that eight out of 10 uh, rule that I kind of came up with, um, you know, you got to, you got to alternate your game and, and um, it's hard. It's hard depending on the way that you're, you know, some players accept uh, a lesser role. Uh, I right. struggle with that. I struggle with that. Um, I'm, I'm mentally not capable of accepting a, a lesser role. And, and that's why I kind of had to retire because I wasn't, I didn't want to become a seventh defense, sixth or seventh defenseman. A lot of guys can do it. I think it's an important position. Unfortunately, I'm just wired. I'm not wired that way. And, um, yeah, so just uh, thanks, thanks so much for the time, Dan. Uh, just to sort of uh, uh, a close out, um, what what have you been up to uh, recently? Uh, again, just taking care of the kids, uh, taking care of the house. I live on about forty eight acres here, so I got a lot got a lot going on, and uh, just enjoying life and kind of starting to. Like I said, the, the last year and a half was tough with COVID and stuff, but as things start to get back to normal. Uh, probably come out of my hole a little I'm like a hermit or like a hedgehog up here I'll probably come out a little bit more uh as the years or as the time goes by but uh yeah just basically just being a dad basically yeah you actually had a an interview sort of recently within the last year that you were a VIP roadie for Faith No More you know it's a, yeah. a, an older I'll put in air quotes uh, rock band <laughs> air quote, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to age you like that but yeah. um you know they they announced that they were actually going to go back on tour 
but they ran into uh, some some health problems with one of their their you know yeah. someone involved with the band. You know, we're not going to get into that, obviously. Yeah. Um, but with that cancellation, you know, I was hoping to see you at Aftershock up here in Sacramento, maybe. I, I well, I was going to be there with Faith No More. Uh, now yeah. I have to kind of circle back and and see what. Uh, you know, with COVID, it's kind of taken some lineup, it's made some lineup changes. But yeah, I was supposed to go with them on uh, their run out east. Uh, they had about five or six shows out east and then six or five or six out west. And uh, I was really looking forward to it. But uh, unfortunately, yeah, um, as documented, there's they've got some uh, some health issues and they're going to work on that. But uh, yeah, I miss uh, that was my other joy in life was uh, was was the music industry and um, got to meet a few, uh, a handful of bands and stuff. And I don't know, uh, you'll, if, if there's a concert that's, that's good enough, you'll, you'll definitely see me there for sure. <laughs> and, uh, my, uh, my last uh, question here, uh, kind of related to the music side. And, uh, you've mentioned that, uh, you're not, uh, as much as you love music, you're not, uh, uh you know, big time performer yourself. So sure. my question, okay. In your time with the sharks, who was the best singer? Because for sure you guys did karaoke. And who might have been the best musician too? Maybe Mark I, Smith. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I played I you I didn't play with him with the Sharks, but Mark Smith by far um is both the best uh guitarist and singer for sure. I've had him over my house a couple times mm -hmm. with the acoustics over the fire pit, and uh he's awesome. I think Burnsy plays a little bit too. Uh, but I think Mark Smith overall was uh was the best musician um that i've ever played with that i can think of uh brad lukowicz was my teammate in tampa too he could play the guitar and the drums uh, quite a bit is there a surprise uh great karaoke singer on the sharks that you know we wouldn't guess <laughs> well i know it's not nabby i'll tell you that <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that at that and you know uh dan i i spoke to you about this prior to going and recording, I told you I was going to share with you as my final, uh, final salutation, you know, for this, this episode, I wanted to share with you one of my favorite Dan Boyle moments. And it wasn't necessarily when you were skating on the ice, you know, going coast to coast and <laughs> throwing it behind the net or, or sorry, throwing it behind the goaltender in the net. In fact, it was something a little bit more recent and uh, as recent as the 2019 Stanley cup playoff run in which you were hyping the crowd up at the shark tank and uh we got this this gif of you just going absolutely insane at the game <laughs> and i'm gonna pull it up here and uh you know the folks aren't gonna be able to see this but i'm gonna share this just for everyone or or for you to see here this says and it's a tweet from the sharks dan boyle legend and you're just you're going absolutely crazy here i don't um, i don't i don't see it right now but i remember it well and and I know we're obviously we're going on a lot of time. Oh, there it is. There you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, all right, couple things. One, I said they're like, come to the game. I'm like, all right, as long as you guys don't make me do anything. So I didn't want to fire up the crowd. I didn't want to do it. <laughs> and they came and got me between I think the second and the third. And I had seen a couple of the Niners do something similar. Um, oh yeah. A game or two previous. And then the other, the last thing is, I was a huge wrestling fan growing up. I watched. WWF back in the day, WWE religiously, Mondays and Thursdays for like 20 years. Uh, never was never a huge Stone Cold fan, but uh, when they kind of told me I was going to have to do this, I just kind of, I challenged my inner Stone Cold, Steve Austin. And I took a lot of heat from my friends because the beer was spilling. But if the beer had just kind of went straight in, 
I don't think the effect would have been as cool. So uh, I can chug beers with the best of them, but uh, I felt that that was a good visual as my inner Stone Cold Steve Austin came out and hopefully the fans enjoyed it. I would have tossed you two Bud Light and, <laughs> and I would have cr- cracked them over. I would have crushed them, cracked them, and crushed them right there. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm happy you answered one question. It was a very dark beer, from what I'm seeing here. Yeah, so and that like that, I, that I don't that porter. I don't. Yeah, so I, I sent. I think the guy behind me. I sent him to get me a beer. I was like, go get me a beer. I was like, whatever, whatever. And he got me the darkest beer. And I'm not. I don't even know what. what I don't. I don't know what it is. It wasn't great. Uh, but uh, again, it was, it was all about effect and I'm wearing my stupid headband, uh, you know, teal headband too, just to be funny. I obviously wasn't taking myself serious. Um, but, uh, I enjoyed it and I believe the sharks won that game. So. Yeah, they, they did. They actually won that series and we'll that, that's attribute right. that victory just to you. I'll take um, a little, so. I'll take a little so, piece of it. You said that you can chug the beer with the best of them. And that's my final question. <laughs> Who's going to win in a beer chugging competition? Between you and Douglas Murray. Oh, good God. All right. Well, if there's one guy that can take me out, <laughs> it's the absolute mutant of a, the Viking uh, crankshaft. No, you do not. You do not take on crankshaft in anything. Uh, he is uh, he is a legend in his own right. And uh, I wouldn't even go there for a second. Okay, I guess that answers. But everyone else, everyone else, you're, you're taking everyone else, everyone else. I think I got a shot. Cranky, no chance. Okay, okay. I, I'm getting the tier list set up throughout the years. The, best the pyramid. Drinkers. Yeah, 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 yeah. So S tier at the very tops, crankshaft. But you're right there next to him. I should so. be in this. Yeah, I should be in the next tier. Yeah. Easily, easily. All right, Dan. Um, I think that pretty much wraps it up for us today. We went a little longer than we expected, as I told you before, but you know, it's just so easy for us to just chat it up with you. Just have so many great stories and just, you know, especially dating all the way back, all the way back to 1998 when I was only four years old, Um, not to date you or anything, but uh, (laughs) just wanted to thank you again, Dan, for jumping on the podcast with us, sharing all the amazing stories and, uh, you know, from myself and all the other Sharks fans out there. Thanks again for putting everything, you know, leaving it out on the ice for us as uh, as a player and uh, especially as a uh, as a spectator afterwards uh, during those playoff runs. Yeah, so, thank you very much. To- I, I enjoyed my time here. I loved it and I love the fans and uh, I appreciate it as well. And a big Douglas Murray beer chugging size check of a thank you to Dan Boyle for jumping on the podcast and just chatting all things hockey with us and just keeping it. In typical Dan Boyle fashion, keeping it 100. I know he's a little bit older. I don't know if he understands that reference, but he's keeping it 100 with us there, Shane. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for, personally for me, hopefully he can continue that mini tour uh, with Faith No More once they kind of open things back up uh, and, and get their the health situated on there and hope everything goes well with them. And he can continue living out uh, one of his passions. So I think that... uh. That pretty much does it for this episode for us today. You know, Shang, unless there's something else you want to tell the folks at home in re- in regards to William Eklund, you know, it's fresh in your mind. You just want to talk about he's the god of hockey or whatever. But uh, <laughs> poor, well, my, my only thought is poor Vlasta Milkropa. <laughs> he deserves respect. <laughs> <laughs> hey, All it's right, not folks. easy to make the NHL as a defenseman as an 18-year-old, and he played like 27 games too, so... That's true. That's true. He needs his respect. Okay. We'll keep him up there in the, the greats of young people that the Sharks had to debut. 
because they were really bad. <laughs> uh, that's going to uh, finish it off for us today here at the San Jose Hockey Now podcast. Uh, make sure you all take care of yourselves. Stay safe and stay hydrated. <laughs>